we don't need any quiet, but maybe don't knock all the hangers. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. <clears throat> Hi, and welcome to... <laughs> okay, you look so surprised. <laughs> you knew I was going to do an intro, right? <laughs> It's just funny. It's like you just started acting. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> See, even that's funny. This is the Cold Pizza Party Podcast. My name's Lubitsa. And I'm Adam. And this is a podcast where we talk about leftist politics and trashy TV. This week, we're literally doing both. That's true. Um, we are going to talk about the... Uh, DSA clapping controversy, which sounds silly, but I think we ended up having a really good discussion about it. And um, we also had previously recorded ourselves talking about Southern Charm. Um, and it turned out that in both of those recordings, we're making food. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an extremely ASMR episode. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I hope you enjoy. Are we going to do recommendation? Oh, I can. I have a really quick recommendation. Do you have a quick one? Fuck, I meant to. I'm just going to re-recommend that book, Heroes by Bufo Berardi, because it's about mass murder and suicide and specifically putting it in the context of, you know, contemporary capitalism, especially financial capitalism. And uh, so it's highly relevant. It's a really fun read for theory. It's like a pretty small book, and it's the kind of theory that's really fun to read where you know, maybe he makes claims that are too broad and sweeping. Maybe sometimes they're not completely justified. They're not analytical, but it really helps you think through things. And uh, yeah, it's a fun read and has some good insights. Cool. And I'll recommend uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley and Valley of the Dolls, both of which are books that I sort of thought of as like, kind of like queer, early queer literature. But uh, which I, I mean, they had components of that for sure. And, and Valley of the Dolls also, you know, obviously has a lot of, uh, I mean, all the characters are women, basically. Um, but what I really found interesting was actually the class component. And especially in The Talented Mr. Ripley, it's pretty explicit. But I think if you read Valley of the Dolls, thinking about the class of each of these women, and then you go through their lives with them and see how they end up. It's also pretty interesting. So Cool. All right. Um, hope you enjoy our discussion. Please, you know, reach out if you disagree and want to chat about it. That's awesome. Reach out to Adam. Okay. Reach out to me. <laughs> um, you know, I'm... I'm don't... interested, but I, I'm more interested through the filter of where Adam tells me. <laughs> okay. We don't really... Uh, I don't think we do like a closing like we normally do. So I'm at Bone Camaro on Twitter. No. You're at Cold oh, Pizza Party. Okay. And uh, do you want to give us a song to play when we? Yeah, we can write out to this um, Yugoslavian song I found recently uh, by a band called Lucky Pingvini, and the song is called Shizika. Cool. All right. All thanks right. for listening. Bye.
It's called record, not play. Oh, no. Okay, I hit it. Okay. Okay, welcome back to our kitchen. We're recording and talking again while we make lunch. Uh, we're going to talk about the DSA clapping thing. We've actually recorded, like, this will be our third and a half recording, basically, about it. Uh, we definitely want to, like, get it right, so we're trying real hard. Yeah, but also we might just cut that part out because it doesn't matter. I now feel justified in our desire to talk about it. Yeah, so uh, for people that aren't like very online paying attention to you know, Twitter stuff, um, DSA, uh, the, like, the, what do you call it when it's once every two years meeting for DSA? Biannual, I guess. Was held in Atlanta. Um, unfortunately, the major story coming out of it is that you're, like, not supposed to clap at DSA. Instead, you do ASL claps, and, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so, I guess we should start by, I guess before anything, I feel like I want to say that we, I mean, we'll get into it more, but one of the readings of people disagreeing with this clapping is that they just hate disabled people, or they don't give a fuck about disabled people or they just don't have hearts big enough to accommodate the needs of disabled people or whatever so i feel like we should just first and foremost say like obviously like the intentions of the people who passed these who tried to create these norms were good and you know they wanted to be nice and inclusive and that's good you know, a good intention to have. And we always want everyone, obviously, to feel welcome, especially on the left, especially people that have historically been marginalized or kept out of discussions about power and policy and things like that. And, you know, disabled people represent a particularly strong um, identity and intersection because of uh, the fact that they essentially lay bare the cruelty of capitalism, right? Because we can recognize their humanity and realize that it's incredible that the system that we live under is incredibly inhumane in the ways that it oppresses them and marginalizes them because essentially they're not seen as being valuable workers, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, if we're going to talk about centering marginalized identities, uh, the point of doing that, wow. <laughs> like uh, disab- dis- disability as an identity, right, lays bare the sort of relations we have to work under capitalism. Yeah. The fact that if you don't eat, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you're shit. If you get government help, you know, you're, you're stealing. Bum. You're a bum. Yeah. And that that's uh, a universal that applies to all of us in and this system. And also the people who are disabled are oftentimes stigmatized. You know, we've had these shootings. And- yeah. So, like, centering marginalized identities, it has a broader purpose other than just making sure they're included and making sure that they get positions of power that they don't have in, in outside society. Those are both important things. Yeah. But the goal of centering them uh, has to be more than just inclusion because inclusion is not, like, a transformative project, right? Yeah. That's the, why the limits of... It's just super woke. It's super liberal. It's super woke. That's why the limits of, like... Uh, liberal woke politics is just to maintain the current system but more representative of the population right so we should have 19% of CEOs be black or something like that Uh, for a socialist organization you need a more transformative understanding 
and you know these marginalized identities give you a window into the system that needs to be changed. Yeah. Did I summarize that pretty well? Yeah, I think I was you trying did. to be quick. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Basically, I want to say that that's liberal, and I don't mean that as an epithet or derisively. A lot of things that are only liberal are very good, right? But it's an only liberal project to be inclusive. Yeah. And if a story comes out of DSA about disability, it should speak. Ideally, it would speak more broadly to transforming the system, other than just uh, here are people who are being left out, and we should make sure they're included. That's a good goal, but it's not explicit. It's not exactly a socialist goal. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you made a really good point that Thanks, I baby. <laughs> want to make sure we put kind of up front here in case that people decide that they're going to do a bad faith reading of this <laughs> podcast. Uh, because I think that, and, and like, just turn it off, you know, because I think that this is like the thing more than anything else that we've talked about that is just completely missing from the discussion on Twitter or wherever you do your leftist discussions. I certainly haven't seen anyone else talk about it. And you said it to me like, look, the, the this is a symbolic act, right? There's, it, it's nice that the symbolically inclusive, but there's not really any kind of, uh, material undergirding to that uh, that actually supports disabled yeah. people. The goal is to say, this is an inclusive space. You're welcome here. We don't want you to feel like you're not. Yeah. Which is admirable. Yeah, but in no way is that like changing the condition of... Yeah. Um, and... <clears throat> uh, well, do you want to take it? I mean, you don't need yeah. me to summarize it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I got to check on these eggs. Yeah, it's loud over there too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some good kitchen sounds for you. It's because I'm not paying attention to the eggs. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I don't mean, again, I don't mean to be derisive calling it symbolic. I mean, I, I think symbolic things can be important. Even representation in Marvel movies to an extent is a very good thing. But, uh, symbolically, it says one thing intention like explicitly but it also intentionally says something else that nobody really says out loud so if you're saying this is an inclusive space you know this is what we do here and that's what that symbol means and we've created a new norm mm. right i mean i think that's an important part of it because it gives you the inside group aspect of the relationship yeah. we're talking about here yeah i mean that's the important thing right is that it's establishing a norm of inclusion in the group, right? Yeah. And, uh, but the flip side so of that... that's completely counter to how... Okay, go ahead. Well, at the same time as you're saying that, you're also saying, if you don't do this, you don't care about disabled people, really. I mean, some people explicitly say that, but that is kind of inherent in the gesture. Yeah, that's, I think, like, I saw a lot of people, as soon as people started talking about this, before people started even saying it that openly, saying essentially like why do you care you weren't even there why do you care if like or um if we're trying to like be inclusive or whatever basically saying like uh dismissing even like talking about it or whatever mm -hmm. but that dismissal all is the same thing right there's like an implication there of um if you don't like it 
you're not one of us. You're yeah, not yeah. part of the group. You're not welcome in the group. Yeah. You know, love it or leave it, essentially. That's that's part of the function, right, of the of doing the act as a symbol is to say, I we all here care about disabled people and want to make them feel welcome. And if you criticize it, even if you're not criticizing it for that reason, even if you still want to be inclusive and make sure everybody feels welcome and can speak up, right. even if you're criticizing it for a different reason, it makes it seem like you must you must not care people. because that's the whole goal of the not clapping that's the only thing it's trying to do so if you criticize it people are going to assume that you don't care about that yeah you know which is erroneous you know. yeah and at least in general i don't know we care yeah i think uh, you know there are lots of examples of this in society right like where something is symbolically saying one thing, but we all know it's also saying another thing. Like an example is having like police officers at an event, right? Mm. There is the explicit sort of, you are here to serve and protect, make sure everybody's safe and having a good time. But the implicit part of the police officer being there is that will be enforced through violence, right? The peace will be enforced through violence. We'll enforce group peace. And if you stand out, you'll be attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and like, that's just one example. Obviously there's many examples in society where this happens, where two things are being said at the same time. And there was like a lot of uproar online, like I'm saying, of people just dismissing this people's concerns or doing a bad faith reading saying essentially like you don't care about disabled people or why can't you guys just chill out or, all these yeah. kind of also people saying, well, you you're agreeing with, I don't know, Andy, the guy that got milkshaked and whoever else, you know. And so think about the company that you're in if you disagree with me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So the what I what I want to really highlight there is that impulse, that clickish impulse that impulse to shut people down, that cancel culture impulse. Yeah, that is like liberal and I, yeah, I'm using it in a derogatory sense there, but extremely toxic, especially for an organization that is very small where there's not a lot of power and where essentially we all agree on all the things that we could achieve in our lifetime. Yeah. So there's no need for us to divide each other, you know, just because I was saying to you, like we dream of different socialist utopias when we go to sleep at Mm -hmm. night. But we're never going to achieve those, especially not if we, in our lifetime, but especially if we divide ourselves so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, that's basically the only thing I want to talk about. I don't really care. I don't really care about the clapping. I mean, I can see both sides. I'm a centrist on the clapping. Uh, and I just feel like uh, I want to explain the side that people are, are demonizing and try to talk about what's happening there and why that happens, you know. Yeah, also because I think it's a natural reaction. I had that reaction. I made a joke on Twitter saying, imagine if Tito and the partisans who just had to fight off Nazis and tried to revolutionize Yugoslavia from a monarchy to a socialist country, to a socialist republic, were arguing about how to clap. Like, yeah, there totally. are just bigger things to do. That's yeah. the point of, you know, we just have more to do. I was telling jokes at first, too. And then I understood, I, I looked into it because I was thinking... Deaf people can clap, mm-hmm. right? Deaf people can see clapping. But it turns out this isn't for deaf people, to be clear. This is for people with hearing sensitivity or, um, what do you call it? Hearing aids. Hearing aids. 
And uh, then I softened on it a lot because it's it's nice. Yeah. It, it really is nice to make people feel included, especially when they go through the world and don't get that common courtesy yeah. from every group that they experience. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, of course. But the the you also talked, right, about what if you're a hotel worker at yeah. the convention center and you see this, right? Yeah. You're going to think these people are weird. Yeah. And you're not going to... You might like what they're saying if you hear their speeches, but I, it would raise the bar of, of entry for me if I were a worker. At Especially that. one not politicized at all. Yeah. Who doesn't have a disability and doesn't or immediately who, feel. I'm a socialist. I've been raised by a socialist. Or even and if they have a if different If I were disability. in that convention center, of course, I would, I want to be part of the in-group. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm weak. I would have, of course, <laughs> raised my hands and shook them above my head like everybody else instead of clapping. But... That doesn't mean that that makes it valid just because you can force people to adopt the norm in a small space Mm -hmm. when there are tons of people outside of that space looking at you and being turned off. And like, you know, I don't I think people don't like to talk about optics, but you're doing politics. You have to be aware of the optics. You have to be aware of how you look to other people, especially if you want to appeal to other people. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that this wasn't just a small internal event. Uh, where they set some norms or whatever. I've been to events like that. We don't invite Dave Weigel to come to those events, okay? You don't... um, You don't broadcast it on a live internet feed that, you know, right-wing people are going to pick out and mock. And that's going to happen no matter what. That's not the reason we're criticizing it, but... No, but We're just saying I mean, it's not actually well, closed internally. No, but I am criticizing the fact that this is a political organization that gets mad when people point out that they're doing politics badly. Yeah. And there are politics internally and there are politics externally. And I was saying this to you, you know. Um, sorry, I gotta get this bread. I'm coming with you. Uh, you know, I was saying to you, you can listen to our last episode. I am not a fan of... Netroots Nation, but Netroots Nation has started doing something when they hold when they get together, where they have like a community day at the end of the uh, convention. Mm, and, sound of butter on a pan. That's nice. <laughs> and we're they, an ASMR podcast. We are. One hundred percent. And they um, this time around, they were in Philadelphia and they brought much needed attention to the fact that a, like a hedge fund was buying this um, urban hospital that mainly served poor people and underserved communities um, and was like their only access to medical care. And they were buying it to shut it down and flip the real estate, basically. Um, and, you know, the story that came out of Netroots Nation was in no small part about that, about how when these left uh, activists get together, they change community the communities that they go to, right? Yeah. What came out of Atlanta? Look at these weird socialists. They won't even clap. Yeah. They're what, so joyless. They can't even clap when they're excited. What kind of... Uh, That's not... <laughs> what kind of change does it imply that you want, right? Just a future where... Instead of clapping at the State of the Union, they're doing ASL clapping to the president when he's announcing, you know. <laughs> We're going to war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, or a, a transformative change. And it looks, if you look at these right. two conventions, it looks like the transformative change comes from the people who are on the ground doing shit, which is somehow Netroots Nation. Yeah. 
a bunch I, of disingenuous, horny dopes. Like I, I do worry that we're repeating a lot of the mistakes that people made in the late 60s and stuff, right? I know that's kind of an Angela Nagel critique, and she sucks, and it's true. She, Yeah, we watched her on Tucker Carlson, and the clip was terrible. It's not good, She folks. shouldn't go on there. <laughs> no. I'm not against people going on there, but you got to sell leftism if you're going on there. Yeah. Not just shit on it. <laughs> and not laugh with... You know, a guy, one of our listeners, shout out to Peach Bus, um, said, basically talk, was talking about the, you know, just anger-inducing uh, irony of going on there and talking about the bourgeoisie narcissism oh of God. these people and laughing about it with a guy who grew up as like a American princeling, yeah, you know, totally. as it's the terrible. heir of a fucking chicken it is it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> On the other hand, I do have sympathy for some of the stuff that she would theoretically say about it. I mean, this... You don't need to... Just, you can just say whatever I'm, you want to say. You don't need to center it in Angela Nagel. That's true. I'm just saying that... Uh, well, for example, she's not completely wrong when she said that. Because we were, we were saying that this is something that only makes sense to you if you come out of a campus activism that's background. That's true. That's and true. that's part of the problem that we see that we want we want working class people to see socialists and feel like that's a group that I want to be part of. Yeah, I, I honestly do. I, of course. I, I don't know I don't why. I don't know why else we would be socialists. Yeah, like. I, I've, and it's true. Yeah, just uh, working class people have disabilities, especially, quote unquote, invisible disabilities and all this. That's true. But they don't have any exposure to this discourse that feels a lot more natural to like you know, middle and upper middle class people who yeah, went to I've like done, liberal arts I've school. I've done this. I went to a liberal arts school. I organized campuses. I have sat in meetings where we created norms. I've sat through meetings where we basically had a struggle session about someone saying the word lame in a group chat and how that was, uh, you know, not inclusive to disabled people where yeah. we tried to create a, a safe space for trans people and have non-binary bathrooms. Like, I mean... There are good impulses, like safe spaces and non-binary bathrooms and things like that, that come out of those spaces, but they are extremely insular spaces, yeah. nonetheless. And that discourse is just not conducive to class politics. It's just not. Well, you were at Power yeah, Shift that one year. people know what's for them and what's not. We were at Power <laughs> Shift that one year, and they did the breakout groups where everybody kind of went into a group defined on whatever identity they identified yeah. with. And talked about how their specific identity could deal with the issue of climate change. Yeah. And you asked me to help lead the working class one. Yeah. And almost nobody showed up for that one, you know? And we didn't really... And the people who did spend I didn't know a lot what to of say, time really. talking about how... Well, I remember that the people who came and made me so sad f spent a lot of time talking about how disempowered they felt, how... Um, they felt like they, they were not able to contribute anything to this movement, um, how they're exhausted and they don't have time to do the things that essentially people are getting excited about organizing and doing in the convention. They're, that they were happy to have come here and be surrounded by like-minded people because it is draining to not be able to deal with climate change all the time, but at the same time that being here was also exhausting for them. Because yeah. it was not, it was not a space for working people. Yeah. It was a space for college campus activists, you know, like, and that sucks. And I hated that. And yeah. that's part of why I'm not 
working in those types of movements anymore. Yeah. So I don't want socialism to become that. I don't want socialism to become a clique where, you know, on Wednesdays we wear pink, right? Like, we're the mean girls, and if you don't do... No, if you don't abide by the norms we set, then you don't get to sit with us. Yeah, you don't get to be a real socialist. Yeah, I mean, and you I must hate, hate. That's that's why I really people. want to talk about the bad faith readings, also because well, it hits my hobby it. horse. Intention <laughs> is what creates meaning, right? Mm-hmm. And to just dismiss people who feel like okay, this is also an exclusionary act. Maybe in a yeah. way you can't do anything inclusive without also being exclusionary to some other you know, set of people. Yeah, and in you this need to case, be mindful of who that set of people is. Like In this case, you're being exclusionary, like we said, to people who just, who are, feel off-put by this for some reason. And, uh, oh yeah. Okay, so the only reason I brought up Angela Nagel is because she has that critique that she's concerned um, that this socialist movement is going to take on like an upper-class mm. class cast. Right. And, uh, if we go back to that image of, you know, that I suggested mockingly of a State of the Union address where everybody's ASL clapping, mm-hmm. I, I know that's not what anybody actually wants. That's not what anybody's proposing. But then you wonder, ASL why class. are we spending time doing it Yeah, then? because that's the only change it suggests, right, yeah. is a change in social norms. Yeah. But we already did that in the 60s and the 70s, and it didn't help. Yeah. We tried to revolutionize society by starting with ourselves and doing struggle sessions if you're Maoist. And that was like a huge disaster. Yeah. Struggle sessions too were like the most oppressive part of Maoism. It was used to, you know, kill teachers or at least beat them up and harass them. It led to the cult of the Red Army faction in Japan murdering each other. It becomes a way, oh, because like, it's a way to say, this is what we believe as a group. And if you don't believe that, then you need to publicly, internally struggle yeah. with why you're not matching up with it. Yeah. And then we can move forward as a group, right? So yeah, I mean, it, instead of it, you know, giving power to the group, it gives power to the leaders of the group, right, ultimately. Right. And that's how you end up with like yeah, the small call. Yeah, that's a great point. Because it, um, it's just so uh, anti-democratic, essentially, yeah. to say... Like, if you have a problem with what we're doing, that problem is within you, Yeah. you know, instead of suggesting that, wait a second, we maybe we've created a system that doesn't work for all people. Maybe we are, you know, human beings that have good intentions, but in practice, sometimes those things become flawed. Like, yeah. And I, there's a reason to think about the, the as, Yeah, as soon as you have a group of people who gain power and establish an in-group with in-group norms and then look outward and everyone who criticizes them is a bad faith is a bad actor uh, or a bad faith actor or whatever um, and they can be dismissed yeah. and their criticisms are automatically not valid because if they were valid they'd be in the in-group yeah you should be suspicious you know that's not Okay, that's not normal. Yeah. I got it. That's old as Oh, it's two o'clock. Yeah. I gotta Should get I going. Your yeah. Okay, well, I mean, well that's, is there anything yeah, else a little really bit. need to say about I mean, Oh, I did want to talk about the Antifa resolution just because I think that that's an example of how 
forcing, creating an in-group and, you know, leads to group think, basically. Yeah. I, and it really weakens what you're able to accomplish yeah. in the end. I also and, want, sorry. Well, I was just going to say that. I just want to say something before you get down that example. Okay, just go for it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to summarize that a little bit because I'm not saying like DSA members are going to start stoning people who don't do ASL obviously, class, right? Obviously. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that this form of politics, that's like inherent to the form of it. The other thing that's inherent to the form of focusing on like revolutionizing social relations is that it does nothing to weaken capitalism. Yeah. So the on the one hand, you have, yeah, the groups that even the communes, when people went off and joined communes, it became like abusive. they were rife with, yeah, yeah especially misogynistic yeah. abuse towards women, right? Um, the other thing that can come out of it is like gay marriage, right? So we accept gay people, but we didn't change anything. We didn't question the institution yeah. of marriage. In fact, right. we just kept it going. Or women joining the workforce, right? We didn't revolutionize the gender relations between men and women yeah. or the roles that gender as assigns us at birth, essentially. Yeah. We didn't say, hey, we could do paid wages for home labor. We said, actually, no, we won't change anything. Don't worry. Capitalism won't be threatened. Mm -hmm. We're just going to put women into the workplace and just have them essentially wear pantsuits and look just like smaller men. Yeah. And, and people are still, at least older people, in that mindset that just changing social relations like in the form of women having more power, maybe we won't have war. That's yeah. just not true. That's not Yeah, I know. I right hate now. when people say but that. If you want to stop war, you've got to change the state. Or the flip side, not right? Not the people in it. You've, I'm sure, heard the other side that's used when people say that, which isn't that women will be benevolent, but, oh my God, can you imagine if the president gets her period in the White House? <laughs> true, yeah. She's going to set off a nuclear war. You know? <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you want to talk about bad faith readings and use that Antifa example? I feel like that is really the main issue here. It's not really about the clapping. I think that's why so many people are talking about it and why you and I were talking about it. Because they, a lot of people yeah, act but... like the criticism. The criticism is coming from people, like we were saying, who are worried that this is going to exclude people that don't have the same class background. Yeah. And Any valid criticism, like at least, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and people are ignoring that and, and pretending like, no, their real criticism is that they personally aren't sympathetic enough towards disabled people and also like i'm saying i mean we this is a political movement power is at stake you should question when the people in power create an in-group like you know even if it's just power in your little organization yeah I mean, of course yeah. well organizations have completely dissolved little organizations and big ones because of internal yeah so politics so let's not pretend like that's a small thing that we don't need to worry about or talk about with the biggest socialist organization in America in 2019, yeah. right? Like, um, you already brought up the messaging discipline, right? And the net roots thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. We were reading this guy who talked about how he was, he had a, a great thread that talked about how he had always been anti-fascist. He's literally been stabbed by fascists, been in fights with fascists, gone to jail for fighting with fascists, like long before probably most of the people in DSA were even born, right? Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how this resolution that DSA passed to like 
I think it's like Resolution 9 or something like that. The Antifa resolution, yeah. To basically, what, be like affiliated with Antifa? Yeah, I don't know. It's like a resolution. uh, It's DSA passing a resolution to say that they want to like organize Antifa activities. Yeah. And I said to you as soon as we saw it, what the fuck? Like, they're literally criminalizing Antifa on a federal level or yeah. trying to. Why would you possibly send do the take away the one thing that protects people that do Antifa, which is like being decentralized and and, and anonymous? Yeah. That was the whole point of Black Block is everybody's gonna wear you know face coverings and black. Yeah, so it's not just not cool aesthetics that everyone's wearing no, black skinny was, jeans and black t-shirts. <laughs> it was a tactic to avoid arrest mainly. And by saying we're affiliated with this, here's who we are, here's our organization, yeah, here's our here's leadership. The dues-paying members of this yeah. organization. Also, anti like black block tactics come out of anarchism Yeah, DSA is socialist. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those people are not going to be interested in you organizing events for them. Yeah. But so basically this guy said that he didn't speak at the event because... Because he's a white guy and he wanted to respect the progressive stack and make sure other people's voices were heard. But then in the replies underneath to him are people who are like, wow, I didn't think of it this way. I just thought like, of course... Uh, our socialism has to be anti-fascist. Yeah. But your socialism is anti-fascist by definition. Like, the problem here is, again, you've created these norms, this groupthink that prevents people who have valuable ideas, information, tactics, whatever, from sharing them. And, you know, far be it for me to defend a white man, you know... For speaking. Yeah. (laughs) But it just so happens he is... That's who he is. Yeah, yeah. He said, I'm a cis, het, white guy, so I didn't want to speak. But you're the one who has the knowledge. Yeah. He decided to talk about it on Twitter, I think only after the resolution Yeah, after passed. it passed. And then people were still attacking him and anybody who opposed the resolution. As being of soft being, on fascism. Yeah, as being like Which is crypto-fascist sympathizers. Like. So it's just, this is what I'm saying, though, is this type of group thing really, ho- think, hobbles the movement there's socialists who are outside of the group telling you these norms don't work for me and and people like me that i know like there are people inside the group saying i'm willing to subjugate myself to these norms because i want to be a part of this group but it didn't really work for me because actually i had information i probably should have shared ahead of a resolution like this passing that might literally endanger people Maybe, at minimum, this group should be open to hearing the dissenting voices of other leftists. Yeah. I don't care about what Tucker Carlson says with Angela Nagel no, on his show. It really doesn't I don't matter. give a shit what liberals Actually, they think played about the it. clip, and I think a normal, reasonable person yeah. would watch the clip and be like, oh, they're this just This is fine. They're just trying to be nice respectful. To each other. Yeah. yeah. But there is and should be room for criticism of DSA and the things that it does by other leftists because again they are the biggest socialist organization they are representing leftists to everyone yeah. when dave weigel comes and writes a story about dsa that includes the um not clapping thing and posts it to the washington post that's gonna be a lot of people's main entree into what socialism in america looks like 
And if it looks like a caricature of leftism, they're not going to take it seriously. And that's a problem because unlike Tucker Carlson, unlike the Washington Post consensus, we actually have something to offer this country, real solutions that would change people's lives. So let's not marginalize ourselves with meaningless things that actually are, I think, in a lot of ways, weakening the organization. Yeah. That's what I have to say. And for me, the main issue is the bad faith readings. I mean, of I saw course. a lot of How other people saying How are you calling someone a comrade in one breath and doing a bad faith yeah. interpretation of what they said in the other? Kate like, Wagner was saying that. I guess for me, it's two issues. One is that uh, the bad faith interpretations, like... You gotta just you gotta respect that other people have the same goals and values that, that you do. If you're part of a socialist organization, and yeah. it's completely fine to disagree about how to achieve those values and yeah. goals, it doesn't mean that somebody is you know soft on fascism just because they disagree with you about how to handle it. Right? How to pass? Which resolution to pass? Yeah, you gotta understand people's intention to understand their meaning. You can't just say this is what I think the implications of your words are, and I'm gonna pretend that that's what you mean to yeah. do. They mean what they intend to mean. Yeah. And you, especially if you're part of the same organization or broadly defined movement, you got to listen to the other ideas. But I also do feel like there's something wrong with making this the form of your politics. Like there was the woman who gave a great speech who was a flight attendant organizer. She organized unions for flight attendants. Everybody loved her speech and they clapped at it. Yeah. And, uh, but then I saw like a really nice but irritating criticism that uh somebody replied to her on twitter and was like hey you said brothers and sisters and comrades and i just want to let you know that that still makes non-binary people feel alienated because they're not brothers or sisters so just say comrades and even most people replying to that were like she said comrades it's fine that's inclusive but she replied and was like oh I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I thought comrades was okay. I'll do better in the future. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem too, even though they are being really nice about it. Yeah. I think that would be a step forward if people could be nice about these disagreements. But it's still like, that can't be the thing that everybody talks about after yeah. a DSA. And my main concerns are the organizing concerns, like I said. You're raising the bar for people of a different class background than campus activists to join the organization. um, And you're dividing a very small group of people into an even smaller in-group and out-group instead of being a large big tent organization that is laser focused on seeking power. We have for the first time in our lives and probably in our parents' lives and in anyone's recent memory besides like Eugene Debs, someone who is running as a socialist who could become president of the United States of America. Yeah. If you had told me this when I was growing up under the Bush years, I would have thought you were delusional. Absolutely. I would have hoped that maybe in my grandchildren's lifetime, we would have pushed far enough left that this could be a possibility. A, a instead, president who supported the Sandinistas? Yeah, like, but instead Christ. it's happening right now. And instead of worrying about passing Antifa resolutions and clapping norms, we should be laser fucking focused on supporting Bernie Sanders because that is honestly the only thing that matters right now. <laughs> Not to be, but really, when I look on the other side of the pond and I see momentum fucking running ads, awesome ads that, that point out what a fucked up cycle like austerity is, running ads like that for Corbyn that push people left 
and literally are openly supporting their candidate, it makes me angry that on this side, they can't even decide whether to be involved in electoral politics. Um, that last time around, people who were seeking, what's it called? Not recommendation. What's the? Endorsement. Oh, yeah, endorsement. That this side couldn't even get endorsements out in time for races because people were debating whether they even should be doing electoral politics, whether yeah. the candidates are left enough. Whether, I mean, to some extent, of course, we should be vetting candidates, but like, get real, you know? That's how you gain power. Yeah. You are not going to gain power outside of electoral no. politics. You have to set the stage in electoral politics for it to be safe enough for people to do black block shit, yeah. for example, for people to do eco-activism and not be called eco-terrorists and criminalized the way they were under the Bush years. It matters who is in power. It matters who has electoral power in this country. Yeah. There are already revolutionary socialist organizations that want to be the vanguard of a movement. That's not DSA. Yeah. DSA is a big tent socialist org that participates in elections. And uh, if that's the case, you have to have an approach to mass politics that is winning people over and not just trying to be like the best little group you can be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's our thing. You gotta go back to I work. Go. I gotta pack up the sandwich for you. So, bye. we talk about southern charm yeah uh so we've been watching southern charm as we have since it started southern charm is a show on bravo that's about people in their like probably the best show on tv right now i feel like there's nothing on right now. yeah it's like off-season vanderpump rules you know yeah (laughs) um and yeah they're like in their 20s 30s and 40s and they all live in charleston and um it's been interesting to watch this show um, as we have more like left consciousness developing in the society as a whole. So like when the show first started, um, there's so we have like some basic characters that have existed through all the seasons, like Catherine Dennis, uh, who is a descendant of Calhoun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thomas Ravenel, who is like a disgraced, um, I don't know, secretary uh, state, of something. Yeah, he was ascended to treasurer, high maybe. In yeah, state. Um, um, he comes from a rich and powerful family. Also, he has the Ravenel Bridge. That's yeah. very important. Um, and he uh, is a disgraced state, whatever, because he was selling cocaine yeah. and using. Um, then we have. I'll crack the window while you describe a little more. We have Shep, who um, I think his claim to fame is that uh, his aunt is the Jordan Baker character from The Great Gatsby. <laughs> his family owns an island, and um, there's like some type of spaniel that is like named after his family. Uh, so that tells you the kind of level of rich people we're talking about. And then there's like Cameron, who 
is was like on the real world and is married to a doctor she's kind of like the proxy character and then there's whitney no we do because we're going to talk about these characters so if you don't know what we're talking about you're not going to know what we're talking about can you flip the burgers and uh cameron no i paused it oh oh no i didn't okay whitney and cameron are almost producers they like, are. They Whitney is literally a producer. Yeah, and Cameron basically is. Like, they... Anyway. Okay. Um, so Whitney is an extremely rich guy with an extremely rich mom and a show producer. And then Craig is the young guy that um, has basically become a lawyer with some difficulty. But... Um, he is kind of, I would say, trying to be upwardly mobile. Yeah. But he's friends with all these incredibly yeah. rich people. There's Craig and so, there's also Austin, who are oh, more like right. they're more like but normal he's, he's people yeah. who come from like a normal class background. Or like a, probably like a upper middle class background. I think like Craig's dad owns like a lawn care business, you okay. know? So they're not yeah. middle class really, but one they're two. not as rich as these people that as Shep puts it, they get mailbox money. Uh, yeah, totally. There's one or two people from Charleston who are more working class for sure. Like, uh... Okay, they don't matter. We're not going to talk okay. about those people that much. So the point is, it's been interesting to watch this show because Thomas Ravenel, for example, in the first season, hooked up with like a 19-year-old Catherine Dennis. He's like 54. Yeah. Um, and had a baby with her and then had a second baby with her. And... Uh, throughout those seasons, she was marginalized as the crazy, hysterical, pregnant woman, right? Yeah. But then you had Me Too happen, mm-hmm. and he gets Me Tooed and also accused of rape. Yeah. And now he's off the show, and that season... When and he has, like, a lawsuit. Right. But that season, when that's happening, everyone turns around, and we start having this kumbaya girl power circle happening, <laughs> Uh, where everyone is on Catherine's side because they realize that the audience has completely shifted mm-hmm. and sees Catherine as they should see her as this woman who basically is caught in a particularly patriarchal traditional city where you know a man is allowed to get away with like selling coke yeah. but she has her children taken from her because she smoked weed yeah so it's been interesting to watch those kind of changes play out. Um, also, like people have mentioned, certainly I think about it all the time, how there's not a single black person on the show um, and how all of the wealth that they're so proud of was literally built on the backs of slaves in that they literally all own plantations. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Ravenel owned a plantation. Catherine Dennis's family lives on a plantation. Uh, there's a new character, Eliza, whose family literally owns a plantation. Yeah. Um, and it's very rarely remarked upon. And I think the only person who's really brought a black person to be on the show at all is Cameron. Cameron brings her friend around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's like Chelsea. a doctor who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. So, I mean, <laughs> he's also a rich person. He just yeah. happens to be 
a person of color. Chelsea, who's one of the working class people, who's like a hairdresser, she did go to Eliza's house this season and was like, I always get creeped out when I come to these places, you know? Yeah. These I think, um I think one of the other characters, Naomi, said, I always like to think about what happened here 200 years ago. <laughs> and the other people were like, oh, nothing good. And then they just like walked away. <laughs> Yeah. But that's like the most we've ever had of like any type of consciousness about yeah like, where this money comes from yeah which is the issue yeah or yeah. the history of this place but the people who have that money from don't this talk about it at background, all they hate talking about money but they love talking about class and how yeah. they have class and other people don't have right. class yeah so uh, now that Thomas is off the show Shep is kind of the main good old boy that's left on the show. Mm-hmm. Because even though he likes to act like he is just out of college, he's actually like 40-something. Yeah. Um, you describe his lifestyle like he gets mailbox money. He doesn't work. He sleeps in. He goes out every night. Yeah. Yeah, sleeps around. He's, he's like 40 and is like, I just don't want to be tied down. Yeah. I, I don't want to commit to somebody because I'm having too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not a dumb person. He really is, unfortunately, pretty clever. Well, it just turns out compared to everyone else on the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, he's not a smart person. Um, should I make it? I think egg? I said not dumb, right? Yeah, I yeah. guess you're right. But yeah, so Shep is the type of person that we've literally seen him and Thomas laugh on other seasons about dating someone who's our class. They call OC. it OC. Yeah. And um, how it's just so embarrassing at, when you bring someone around that isn't OC to, like, your family. Yeah. Um, and I think it was Shep who said that his mom was like, I don't care who you date as long as they're OC. Yeah. And this season we had um, a situation where he called a girl white trash. And she was pissed off because she she's like, D- is the country club I grew up in white trash? <laughs> oh my god! Which is the level of uh, discourse on this show. But yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to watch because it's clear that the tides are turning and people are finding him less and less charming and appealing because they realize that his behavior is indefensible and also that people don't think that being rich is like cool in the same way that I think maybe people even did when the show started and it was about showing us the wealthy yeah like behind the doors of these you know people that live in these massive houses in Charleston or whatever the show's interesting to watch because as societal norms are changing the show is really affected you know and it's just it started out in a really conservative place and when we would watch it, I would literally, especially think about Catherine Mann, it just really sucks that she lives where she lives because she is going to get painted as a hysterical woman and a young, dumb girl. And some judge it is going to look at her and look at Thomas Ravenel, and they're going to identify with Thomas Ravenel and give him full custody and anything else he wants. Like, he gets to mandatorily drug test her to the point where she literally has bruises on her arms because it's it happens so often and it's like it's for smoking weed yeah. i mean it he and it's he been got like two or three years arrested for selling cocaine while he held a state position <laughs> but, but she had her children taken away from her because yeah. she smoked weed the 
the sexism in classism is astounding. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't and assume it's, it's as bad as it is if I hadn't yeah, watched this show. Yeah, and it's just been interesting to see the show start out with so much sexism and classism and see the ways in which... A little bit. It has to change up. a little bit. In a recent episode, Craig, who's the more middle-class person from the North who lives down here... Well, I think it's just from Delaware, but yeah. Okay, that's the North, right? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh... He uh, blew up a little bit at oh, Whitney yeah. and Shep, right? And, at Whitney especially. Yeah, and he was talking about how, like, they don't deserve what they have. Yeah. And they never worked for it and all this. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Chelsea, who's a working class person from the area, was like... You have to be respectful. Yeah. That was sad. And it just made you She's realize... She's normally like a viewer's proxy character, too. Yeah, but it made me realize, like, oh, that's why they let you hang out with them yeah. she was on tv she was on survivor so she has some celebrity she's hot she's cool and she's respectful yeah right she knows she's not an oc but she respects the yeah class. that's sad yeah you know that's sad. a good example though of uh... and everyone was pissed at craig for even bringing up the fact that whitney <clears throat> was acting like a whiny baby and uh didn't want to ride seven hours in a bus and instead was trying to charter a private flight from yeah. the airport to the vacation house that they were going to in Colorado. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of people turning on Whitney and being like, stop, like, don't do this. Don't be like this. They, you know, let's just have fun. Yeah, let's all hang out They together. all got mad at Craig for pointing out that yeah. Whitney was doing that. Yeah. That reminds me, because um, Craig's middle class and Chelsea's working class, but that doesn't mean that she you know, has, like, a class analysis. No, definitely not. Yeah, it just, it reminds me of a bit of a digression, but, like, the complicated class politics around, you know, left-wing, Marxist, socialist, whatever movements, like, um, you know, we were talking a while ago about, on Majority Report, they were having that fight over whether uh, left-wing politics is good for everybody or not, and Sam Cedar's like, no, it's only, yeah, it's zero-sum, like, it's bad for middle and upper class people, especially upper class people. You can't convince them that this is going to be good for them and bring them to your side. Which or is white men. Completely false. Like just because someone occupies a certain class position for one thing doesn't mean they're going to understand what's going on. Yeah. Or necessarily agree. And also, these are universal values. Like we live in a system that isn't ideal. That in some ways is completely broken. Yeah. And you can benefit from that and still recognize it and want to change it because. Um, we're not only like machines programmed by biology to pursue our own self-interest, you know. And like when you are just below that upper class level, yeah. then you can see better certain yeah. things. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like your some of your Macedonian socialist heroes were upper class people who fought for everybody's rights. Yeah, one hundred percent. But also, I was just. Um, watching this architectural digest youtube video where they have people guess the value of houses or like condos and apartments in new york city that are like really like lush and expensive and they have a person who is a black woman who rents uh i don't know what the other guy's nationality is but he owns in new york city and then someone who's like an expert because she runs a blog or whatever and the guy who owns and the expert guess pretty much in the ballpark. I mean, 
not perfect, but they have an idea of they can't afford these homes, but they have an idea for what those those homes go for. The poor I mean the person who rents who I assume is poor, I don't know her condition. Normal. But yeah. Yeah. She has no idea. Like when the apartment costs like eight or nine million, these two guess, I don't know, like six point five or whatever. Or ten. Or twelve. Twelve. Yeah. She guesses eighteen million. Twenty, 20 million. Twenty five, yeah. Because she has no concept of I mean it's 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 out of her range of experience. Why would so she even far, look yeah. at that stuff? It's so far out of the range. She yeah. assumes it's even further exactly. out of the range. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even more powerful, even more Exactly. Rich. Whereas yeah. the people that are closer they know by how much they're away from owning million dollar yeah. homes, right? Yeah. Because it's not so inconceivable to them. Yeah, or it's NYC, so they probably do own a million, one point five right. million dollar home. Right. And they know what a six or seven million dollar one right. looks like. Yeah. yeah. So I think that with Craig, you are getting a bit of that, where it's like, well, I come from an upper middle class family. Mm-hmm. I have studied and become a lawyer. Yeah. And then I live in this city where these people, for no reason, are insanely wealthy. Yeah. Do and, whatever they want to in their personal life. Even. Yeah. Like, they're so wealthy that it seeps into their personality. Yeah. To the point where they don't expect consequences for anything they do. Yeah. And they chew with their mouths open. Oh, it's disgusting. You can see them chewing their it's food. It's disgusting. It really makes you wonder who raised these people. Yeah. Um, like, it's an ongoing problem the open mouth chewing i think at one point the like they were the editors were focusing in on shep and how disgusting he was and then i was like oh my god it's gonna get so much worse he's about to open his mouth even wider and then they just cut because i think that (laughs) even they knew people will change the channel if you show them but they were also directing your focus to it right yeah totally. it's so funny when you can see the hand of the editors and like the contempt they have for some of the people on the show because they can't just come in and like do a voiceover or something yeah they, they let you know what they want yeah yeah so I think that Shep, like you're saying, he, I mean, uh, Craig, like you're saying, is just below these people as far as class status goes. And it irritates him. And he sees, like, well, you didn't even go to law school yeah. or do anything to have the the wealth that you have. Never and you guys shit on me for not working hard enough Whitney, all the time. Whitney is like 55 years old and he has a band called Renob. Which is Boner, Boner Backwards. backwards. Yeah. Yeah, he, he spent also his, has like the worst toupee. He spent his like twenties and maybe thirties like touring in a band literally nobody cares about. Yeah, but if you have a rich member and who making, can bankroll um, you, movies, documentaries, or something that yeah. no one cares about or has ever heard of, because he could bankroll them himself. Yeah. So, and all of his wealth just comes from his mom marrying progressively richer and richer men. She's had like three marriages, and each one the guy yeah. was even richer than the last. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, Craig was yelling at him saying, like, we don't all stand to inherit $30 million. Yeah. Yeah. Like, some of us have to work, and even if it's just by being on the show. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, like I'm saying, those two, Shep and um, Whitney, there was an entire season, but they still do it every season, where they were riding Craig super hard because Craig, like, wasn't taking the bar exam and oh, because yeah, he doesn't totally. work hard enough. Yeah. And... They, and, and Shep literally says to him, well, we have mailbox money. We can do whatever we want. You can't. You have to work. And yeah. he takes such glee in that, you yeah. know? Yeah. And he, they both police everybody a lot. A lot. But it's really sick to see him policing 
Craig's work ethic when he doesn't have one and yeah. doesn't need one. And and he takes glee in the fact yeah, that he doesn't need he's one. He's definitely a Trump supporter. He sells oh, yeah. the hats with the flag on it. Yeah. He's yeah, he's he's like got an Instagram account where he's selling he hats. He said something just have this last episode it. too that sounded so so Trump like. It wasn't fake news, but it was something I can't think of it now, but man, it had the logic of of a, of a Trump. <laughs> the newest quote. drama is an amazing example of how anti-woman they still are. Yeah. Because Austin, who's a normal person, middle-class background from Colorado, uh, is dating a girl. She's the one who's like, who Shep called white trash, uh, even though she's like, I grew up in a uh, country, country club. club, but she works. She has like her own hairdressing business and stuff. Okay, but what you're missing is the important detail, which I I believe is why he calls her white trash. She's a single mom. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. And that's unacceptable. Yeah. That's trashy. Totally. You can't have a baby daddy because then that's what black people do. I mean, I really think the racism and classism and sexism is all intertwined. When, when, When you see the contempt and you remember where their money comes from, it's really hard not to tie all of that in maybe i'm reading too much into it but yeah i think that it's all tied together well his other criticisms of her are for one thing i guess austin cheated on her and yeah then, he definitely did adam they show us the threesome video I just every feel like, episode no i know <laughs> i i'm trying to say he did the wrong thing first oh yeah but i feel like they don't give us the whole story but it's clear that he did the wrong thing first and then later she did it also. Yeah, she got to, back at him. To get back at him. But for Shep and Whitney and the boys, even Craig, they think that makes her complete trash. Not yeah. in terms of white trash, but just they think that makes her a garbage person. Whereas they don't criticize Austin for it at all. Even yeah. though he was the first one to do the same thing. Yeah. It's amazing the double standard that still exists there. Yeah. The other thing that he's very Shep is very critical of her for is expecting anything out of Austin at all. Yeah. Like, she just wants him to, like, come home before 11.30 p.m., not be drunk, so they can spend time together. And Shep is like, you can't have that in your life, man. you got to cut her loose. Yeah, you can't have her, like, making demands on you like that. Yeah, which is, again, a huge intersection of his class privilege as well as his, uh, you know, anti-female energy. He literally... Like, what was the exchange he and Austin had when we were watching last night where he was like he blew up he was, was like crazy. you gotta tell her like to shut, shut the, the fuck, fuck up, up right yeah. yeah and austin was like or maybe no i should never say that to her <laughs> which i was surprised by because austin's a messy little bitch but like yes, he's very gossipy yeah, yeah. but i was like yeah I, what it made me think of is like we have seen austin's mom and she comes off as a very strong person mm-hmm. um Probably a working cool. mom. Yeah. And yeah, she seems cool. And um, there's like no way mm-hmm. that he's like, he's afraid of Shep and what Shep thinks, but there's no fucking way he's not more afraid of his mom seeing that or <laughs> what his mom would think if he ever said, shut the fuck up to a woman, yeah. you know, like, which is good and r- correct. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's crazy that Shep thinks that that's acceptable. And like, I was joking, like who raised these people about, chewing with your mouth open (laughs) but really who raised him that he thinks this is an acceptable way to speak to someone yeah 
or you know to to have this opinion of women yeah totally i mean that probably comes more from his dad than his mom but well still. whatever <clears throat> but that's when you reminded me that his mom was the first one that kind of planted that our class of yeah. seed in and his that mind. he needs to make sure to bring someone around that can fit in yeah. with them and yeah. like go to the country club and not embarrass them yeah and, and that's the like problem that. is that certain people aren't fitting in because they're challenging him yeah. or he doesn't like them because they don't act right towards him so, they're not deferential enough yeah, like his, craig how his, dare he think that because he went to law school he is and he's my friend that he's on an equal yeah. level as me so he got a dog that he named craig yeah yeah. Which is like, ha ha, no, not that's funny. Up, yeah. yeah, really a very yeah fucked up thing to do to someone you call a friend. Yeah, like, but I think his that, class like, privilege pervades his entire personality. Yeah, I mean, I think that like it's that idea of like um, when you're so rich, you don't have to do like emotional labor, mm-hmm. and you're like literally bad at reading people's faces. Yeah, well, you're not gonna be very good at telling jokes if you don't know what. If you don't have a capacity to understand how other people around you think. And you're not going to be a very good friend if you don't give a shit how other people feel. Yeah. If they should only care about you, right? Like, and I think you see that in the Craig dog. It's not a joke. It's not funny. And also, it's extremely shitty. And you'd have to be kind of a... A, a weird person to commit to, like maybe you would say like i'm gonna get a dog and name it craig yeah if you want it to be mean but then but the, the, but the joke is like even the joke is like so i can say come here craig sit craig here's a treat craig yeah you know? like, it's like disgusting even just as a joke that you don't actually do it still is yeah yeah you know when we uh did our vanderpump episode a long while back we kind of argued that the class dimension of it was the most interesting part of at least the first season or two yeah and i guess this really amps it up on southern charm yeah definitely it's more really a lot more part of the text although maybe not explicitly but it's right there well i think there's an also an aspect of southern charm where um in the first season they were just interested in emphasizing how wealthy and elite these people are so they told us like um thomas ravenel's backstory and they told us chef's family's backstory even this season they did that with um eliza where they're like i'm 15 generations in charleston or whatever uh oh and it's such a burden for everybody to know your last name and yeah yeah but i think that as the show goes on like it's just like i said it's really difficult not to notice like okay, maybe they are elite, but we see them as people on a reality show. Mm-hmm. And it's hard not to notice that... They're chewing with their mouth open. That they're, like you're saying, that their class really pervades their personalities. And it's like, it's genuinely a detriment to them. Yeah. Like, it is genuinely makes them less good people, less appealing people, less good at being friends with people. Like... Yeah. Less good at even being on reality TV. I mean, <laughs> they have, like, no awareness of how they come off, you know? I'm sure that um, Craig, uh, what's his name? Shep thinks that he comes off as, like, a, you know, fun-loving, jovial guy. Like, yeah. he at one point he says, I'm literally not an angry person or something like that. And it's like, you literally are, though. Your like, face is literally red right yeah. now. Yeah. It's like, we can see you. Just because you say that in the interview doesn't mean that we don't see what the cameras saw that day, you know? Yeah, it's a good show. Does that kind of sum it up for Southern Charm? Yeah, I guess so. You have something else? I feel like there was something we were talking about yesterday, but I I can't think of it now. 
<clears throat> Didn't you tell me some funny stuff about Shep's Instagram activity? Oh. He had something really bad a year ago. Well, so. we were talking about how he's like probably at the at that time. I don't know if Trump was in power, but he was definitely obviously a Republican, and he had a thing about how he, um, he shouldn't have to pay so much in taxes uh, because <laughs> oh my God, he doesn't work. I know, but also, how do you think your family managed to hoard and pass wealth down generation to generation? Yeah, stable think, government. Yeah, do yeah. you think that police might have had something to do with that? Yeah. Do you think that you get to live on a plantation and like not have people like loot your plantation, which they like and destroy it, which very morally defensible. Yeah. Uh, without brutal policies and policing to protect <clears throat> private property. Like, yeah. what do you think taxes are for? <laughs> yeah. But he's like, he is the product of, um, you know, having a little bit of like, I guess, like good looks or charm or whatever and access to a good education. So even though he is a terrible person and not particularly smart, he comes off as much smarter than, and, and he, I think, consciously uses, like, SAT words. I yeah. mean, they're not big words, no. but... it's like thesaurus. It's like yeah. he looked up a word just to throw yeah. it in for he, conversation. He never like... uses it in a way that feels natural. No. <laughs> but when I listen to other podcasts talk about it, they talk about Shep like... Oh, wow, he's so... Like, podcasts that are just focused on Bravo, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, that he's so smart, basically. And, I mean, they make fun of it, too. But... Yeah. He is... You know, it just shows you how far, like, uh, just having access to a good education can get you. Because people just assume that you know what you're talking about. And if Be you act classy. And are a white near, man, obviously. Yeah. Right? Like, Definitely. a tall, white, able-bodied man. Yeah. So... Chelsea might be the smartest person on the show. Probably. Yeah. Although I didn't love when she stood up and She's was been bad yelling at Craig. Not just because she was saying you have to be respectful, but she also was like, I have a bigger penis than you. Oh, You're not a real man or whatever. I forgot about that, yeah. You, have a, you need to check your pants for a vagina. Yeah, that's so I bad. I hate that's that so type stupid. of essentialism. Yeah. It, I mean, it's so gross. I, I don't. Hopefully we don't need to explain why. <laughs> But yeah. it really, really turned me off. I gen generally like Chelsea because she is like sort of like the um, ideal cool girl. Like she's like hot and chill and she like surfs and, mm -hmm. you and know. She's independent. Yeah, she's independent. She, she has a like, seemingly cool dog and yeah. nice dad and stuff like that. You know, it just seems like she's like a chill, cool person with like a chill, cool life. But then when she... And it's funny because I feel like she's like um, like the chill hot girl that guys and girls like imagine they want to be friends with, you know? Yeah. But she's actually like way too cool for any of the men on this show, you know? Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, when she says shit like that, it just is such a turn off. And mm -hmm. it just reminds me that she is still steeped in the same cultural milieu that they all are and of course she has internalized misogyny like yeah, everyone else totally so yeah cool i don't think we need to get into like uh naomi and matul's relationship i think anybody watching the show will have yeah the same feelings we do. yeah <laughs> not good folks yeah um okay let's wrap it up there because i'm hungry and our food's done let's do it thanks right. for listening this is the end uh 
tune in next time. Find us on Twitter. I'm at Bone Camaro. And I'm at Cold Pizza Party on Twitter. And you can also find us on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Cold Pizza Party. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Let's